As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast from The Athletic and, well, that boy Ronaldo has done it again. Constant Manchester United pressure. Less than 10 minutes to go. Sure. Into Ronaldo! Cristiano Ronaldo in the Champions League again for Manchester United! You cannot keep this man down in this competition! And from 2-0 down, Manchester United lead 3-2! And who else but CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo! Yes, Manchester United have done it again as well, haven't they? Another, another dramatic comeback in the Champions League, this time against Atalanta. But how many questions has that game brought up? My goodness. We're going to do our best to get through them over the course of this podcast. Uh, And I think we'll probably still be left with more questions. That just seems to be the way it's going at the moment. And later on as well, we'll be previewing the uh, small matter of Manchester United against Liverpool this weekend too. But first, let's react to that crazy night. Right, with us today then, two people who were lucky enough to be covering the match at Old Trafford last night. The Athletics United correspondent, Laurie Whitwell. Hello, Laurie. Hello, Ian. You okay? Still smiling, I see. Absolutely. And the editor of United We Stand, of course, as well, and Athletic contributor, Andy Mitted. Andy, did you get a chippy with the Atalanta fans last night, I saw? I was walking around the ground speaking to fans before the game and asking them various questions and sampling the mood and... I walked past the chippy and it was full of people singing. I thought, I've never seen football fans singing in the chippy before. And they were Italians. So I went up to uh, one of them and said to him uh, in uh, English, how a form of English which I thought an Italian would understand. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and uh, I had a chat with this lad. He said, I don't speak English, but I managed to get his prediction. Right, let's get into it then. It was a conflicting night of confliction with conflicting halves, conflicting emotions, conflicting verdicts. 
Laurie, what side of the conflict were you on? Well, this is kind of where the piece that I wrote uh, into the early hours comes from. In the you filed at four a.m. I believe. Yeah, four a.m. Yeah, I'm a slow writer. I like to kind of just sort of. Do you type with one finger and your tongue out? <laughs> I type like Andy speaks in Italian to Atalanta fans very slowly. My main point is that yeah. There is loads of conflict around United, isn't there? There's, there's loads of there's a culture war really amongst fans. You see it on online, and for the first time probably that I can remember, you could feel it in Old Trafford as well. My overall impression was actually it was a good performance. I I, I know that Solskjaer has been pilloried for suggesting that the first half was actually you know okay, but when you look at the it should have been two two really. When you look at the chances. You know, Rashford's, you know, one-on-one, those runs in behind. We had that chat, didn't we, in sort of on, on WhatsApp sort of saying, you know, is Rashford worth keeping on because he's getting these chances or is he not quite at the, the level, you know, after his long layoff for his finishing? He just needed to get his shooting boots sorted, didn't he? And, and that, that second half finish was immaculate. Um, but, you know, United were creating chances. I was quite enjoying some of the attacking moves that they were putting together. Um, yeah, obviously, defensively, again, two <laughs> pretty shambolic goals to concede. Atalanta, the first one, you knew that's the kind of style they can produce. The wing-back overlapping, the set-piece one, I don't know what's going on there, and that's a real issue they need to address. But I, I came away from it ultimately thinking, that's a stirring comeback. I just enjoyed it. I thought, great, Old Trafford night, under the floodlights in Europe. Yeah, to repeat a line in your piece, no matter the problem, you can still enjoy a wild victory as witnessed by Old Trafford on Wednesday night. Andy, what was it like to be in there? It was brilliant, and Laurie's right, the sense of occasion. Uh, we don't have to look at the bigger picture just to enjoy a night of football. Uh, Atalanta were worthy opponents, they were missing players. Um, they showed how, how capable they were in the first half. I thought the goalkeeper was excellent. I like seeing different styles of football at Old Trafford. I didn't like watching Villarreal, but I, I acknowledge that they, they bring in something else which is different to what you see in the Premier League. The atmosphere was fantastic. You had the, the Red Army, they had two new huge flags in there, which finally they got in. There were a couple of um, issues which needed ironing out. I'm glad that UEFA helped out there to get that sorted out. And they created a din. They were singing for Ollie before the game. The, the support never wavered. There were some boos at half-time. Ollie walked past and, and he sort of raised his arms to ask for more support. It was a bit of a bold thing to do I, I don't know whether it was the right thing to do but it probably was when I was watching I'm thinking you're asking for more support here but do you deserve that and he asked for it he got it right throughout the second half clearly when the goals are flying in you have a natural knock-on effect from from that anyway it was a an exhilarating night of European football I really enjoyed it you got taken for a ride at times you're thinking where on earth is this going? 2-0 down at half-time. As Laurie said, I don't think United played that badly in the first half. Clearly, the defence uh, were at fault for the goals. But up front, United were pretty woeful in the first half. And then just got more clinical in the second half. Great for Marcus to score. Thought Paul Pogba did well when he came on. Spoke to him after the game. He was pretty smiley. Doesn't tend to give much away in live TV um, interviews. Spoke to Ollie after the game. He rightly praised and name-checked the Red Army. And again, we shouldn't take this for, for granted. Throughout the 90s and noughties, when Manchester United were usually excellent, the atmosphere suffered. It was a major issue for a lot of fans. The club didn't really care. They didn't listen to the fans. They took out the 
the, the vocal heartlander, the Stratford end, and replaced it with an executive section. So it's really good now that you see in this atmosphere. It's not happening by chance. It's happening because of the efforts of thousands of people. And the end result is that when I spoke to Atalanta players after the game last night, unprompted, they're talking about the noise in Old Trafford. As a Manchester lad, that sounds fantastic. I, and I know there's loads of issues with Manchester United at the moment. Some people will never be happy. And there are far more issues at the moment than normal. We've seen that with results and with performances. But if you could not enjoy last night, even if you're an Atalanta fan, you're not a football fan. No, I agree. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned there quite a lot about what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said to you in the interview. Well, let's hear his interview with uh, BT Sport now because he was very, very complimentary, as you've been saying, Andy, about the support that United got inside Old Trafford last night. Ole, I think you'd have to give them a wave to keep them yeah. quiet. <laughs> what, but what is, you know, they are a big, big part of this club. You know, this singing section here today was that kept the players going, kept everyone going in their belief. But this team is quite remarkable for comebacks. You can't keep doing this to yourselves. No, but that's, you know, we've got a habit of doing this at this club. And But as I said, I thought we played well. And they were—they looked like they were playing for you. I know—I know it's been a rocky old week. <laughs> don't even start. That, you know, you they, know that's true, though, because no, they, you can see a collective. Don't, don't disrespect the players. They play for Man United. Yeah, Andy, he couldn't have said much more about how much he appreciated the support last night. I mean, it, it made a huge difference, didn't it? Yeah, he was actually name-checking. He name-checked Pete Boyle to me. He said, I saw Big Pete in there. I thought, that's a bit out of order. He's not big. He's lost loads of weight. He's been running every day since lockdown. Would you like it being called Big Ollie, the wrestler from Norway? So I think I think Ollie needs to apologise to Mr Boyle there. But the sentiment was absolutely right. Uh, the support was unwavering. I don't think it was quite as loud as Villarreal, if I'm honest. But then I wasn't measuring it. I was watching a game of football, but... That, that would be my, my observation. Someone might prove me wrong there. I don't know what you think, Larry. Well, I was just thinking when you mentioned uh, Ollie the wrestler from Norway, his dad's a Greco-Roman wrestler, isn't he? So, yeah, you know, he is. If yeah. the shoe fits. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? I never knew yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his dad was a really high-level high wrestler. <laughs> Blimey. Well, every day is a school yeah. day, isn't it? Um, well, in terms of that then, Des Kelly needs to watch his questions, <laughs> doesn't he, Laurie? You know, suggesting that he might have... He might have got a set of players who weren't playing for him anymore. I mean, if anyone sort of doubted that, that second half was a real answer to that, wasn't it? Yeah, and I watched that and, and people had said, because we, we were in the stadium and, and people said, oh, well, Ollie's had a bit, been a bit prickly in the BT Sport interview. And I did watch it back and he obviously was bristling at, at the question. But I think, I mean, I used to work with Des um, at, the, at the Mail um, and he's a, you know, he's a very affable guy. And I think he meant... You know, it was kind of almost saying that they are clearly with you, you know, in that way. But Ollie, even the inference that they might not be, it was something that he kicks back against. Part of me feels it was a fair question, considering the way that, that Leicester had gone and the way that that first half had gone as well. That's maybe the first time that you sort of saw that reaction in terms of people questioning whether they were still playing for him. Uh, because it's not really been sort of fully doubted that as certainly as after that Leicester game. So I think maybe even if he did mean the question, it would have been all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, and yeah, you're not the only one that looked at that game and thought, hmm, what's going on here with the players, the, the effort, the, the kind of walking that we saw at the King Power Stadium. Um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, those grumbles, maybe there are legitimate grumbles from players. It, not in terms of, I think all of them, you know, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but I think I wonder if some of them, you know, question whether he is you know that top level elite like like we all do you know he hasn't got the pedigree that Jurgen Klopp Pep Guardiola Thomas Tuchel you know arrived at their clubs with so that they're, they're sort of legitimate questions but I think you look at the way they committed to the task you know 
obviously they went 2-0 down that's not a great look but it was organization really it was it wasn't it wasn't commitment and the way they responded to that with the character you know with the running with the energy and then they got the extra you know impetus off the bench with Paul Pogba and Edson Cavani uh, it was a real proper performance for a manager and you know i think that's the that's what you'll expect now from 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 now on i don't, I don't think We'll see a return to that Leicester game, but I mean, you know, so it's, you know, it, there's been 20, plenty of twists and turns in this story already. Um, but I, it was, you, I think you're right. I think it was a performance that actually answered that those kind of doubts. Yeah, it certainly felt like that. I mean, Rio Ferdinand said on BT afterwards, Andy, that United need to use that second half as a reference point moving forward. A lot of I've seen the phrase everywhere: papering over the cracks, papering over the cracks, papering over the cracks. But they keep doing this. Like, is it yeah. sustainable? We seem to ask this question all the time. Is it sustainable to go behind? No, no, it's not. And, and another lack of clean sheet. That's a worry as well. And just on the as... clean sheets, actually, I looked this yeah. up. Right, Manchester United's last clean sheet at Old Trafford in the Premier League was March, and that's and that's not good enough. March and and in, and, in twenty-one and... games in the Premier League since they've kept two clean sheets. And David de Gea. Uh, kept United in the game with that double save after after 71 minutes. I do think that United deserved uh, to win the game. I think when the team are not doing well, you get a lot of talk and it's our job to talk, to write. But when it's coming from the players or the manager, there's a little bit of same old bouncing back. You know, we know this isn't good enough. The only way that they can change uh, the mood is by, by winning matches and playing well. Uh, the issues have not gone away. Liverpool are still clear favourites to beat United at Old Trafford on Sunday. And United, I wouldn't say they got away with it, but it was such an open, unpredictable game. Atalanta's defence probably suited um, United's style of, of play. I wouldn't be surprised if in two weeks we're talking and the mood is much flatter again because results have not gone Manchester United's way. Then again, it's been an unpredictable, largely enjoyable ride under Oli um, but people are talking and speculating because things have have, have not been good enough uh, the doubts about Oli some of them are absolutely legitimate and we've discussed some on this podcast he's coming up to nearly three years in charge now United have not won any trophies under him he's done well up until uh, this point but expectations not unreasonably so are higher this year look at the squad that he's got has he got the best out of that squad so far? no I think it's a lack of control as well, Laurie, isn't it? I mean, that that's sort of what the theme that I've sort of got out of the last few matches. They've won three of the last eight, and we'll go back to it again. It, it's an 89th-minute winner from Jesse Lingard, followed by an even later penalty save from Mark Noble by David De Gea in that game. It's a last-second winner from Cristiano Ronaldo against Villarreal at Old Trafford, and then it's that turnaround last night. I mean... The, the, the last time United won comfortably was Newcastle, Ronaldo's debut. And even that one, to be fair, 1-1 for a, a section of time and Newcastle were attacking pretty well. I, I weirdly, I was having this conversation last night with somebody, I weirdly ranked the West Ham performance as better than the Newcastle performance just because I know it took a late winner from Lingard, but I felt there was actually control in that game where West Ham's chances were pretty minimal, whereas and, you know, United, I think United should have been you know, clear before the end. Whereas in all the other games, you know, United have coughed up chances. Does Solskjaer know his best team? What will he field against Liverpool? What are the balances like there? Um, I mean, I do think having Marcus Rashford back is a major, major thing because he just offers something different in terms of those runs in behind. We spoke to Bruno Fernandes after the game, who was man of the match, which a lot of people were like, 
how on earth is he man of the match? Um, because the amount of times he gave it away in that first half, and and you know you're looking at it going the weight of pass, figure it out. But then also he created a chance for Fred. Second half, he creates the, the goal for Marcus Rashford. He creates two chances for Cristiano Ronaldo. Something else conflicting about last night. It, it, he, that, so that's, I think Bruno absolutely epitomises the whole point, though, in the, the control. So he, and I asked him, I, I said to him, um, in a sort of the, the, the uh, most uh, kind way that I could, I mean, who am I to you know, discuss Bruno Fernandes's you know, technique on the pitch? But I was sort of saying, can you just explain the bad passes, but then also the really good passes? How does that work? And he basically just said, you know, I take risks on the pitch. You know, sometimes I take too many risks, but I respect my strikers too much to not try and give them the chance to score goals. I think Bruno's really interesting because I thought he was poor in the first half without intending to be. He just couldn't find his radar. He was trying passes which were just not coming off. And that's a that's unlike him. He got much better in the second half, but then you could say that about most of the players. I was doing uh, ratings and it was difficult even though United didn't play that badly in the first half to find many reasons for optimism and I get the the reason why Bruno was baffled to be named man of the match but who was I know internally they feel that Fred and Scott McTominay did exactly what was asked of them so they definitely impressed um, internally Uh, Ronaldo um, did what he did Marcus, it was great for him to, to score that goal, but he was still finding his way as two. I thought Pogba did well when he came on. But yeah, Bruno was pretty frustrating to watch in that first half because it, it just wasn't happening. He was losing the ball more often than it was getting to the man. But then in the second half, he, he, one thing I like about him is he keeps trying. He always tries. He never stops trying. He always demands the ball. He doesn't hide away. Um, but was he the standout man of the match? I, I don't think he was. One thing about last night, which has sort of got lost really in all the excitement was just how important that victory was for Manchester United's season in the Champions League and, and indeed sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's prospects of keeping hold of the job because to go out of this group would have been extremely damaging and to lose that game last night would have given United a massive uphill task of getting out of it. I mean, essentially that comeback took United from the bottom of the group to the top of the group uh, and now they can go to Bergamo full of confidence as opposed to full of trepidation. I mean, Laurie, it could be a turning point in the season. I don't really want to say that because I feel like we've had a few of them already. But Yeah, you'll give you know, yourself whiplash you know, yeah, look at all these the turning en- points. But but the energy that a result like that brings and a finale like that brings, I mean, th- this is really something that, I feel like I've said this before as well, that they have to build on now, surely, surely. It's, it's it, momentum's huge. I mean, it, I I felt the momentum in that second half was just only going one way. You know, I, I texted Meditor at half time. Well, out, out after the second half, saying I wondered two, how long it was going to take you to get this in. Three two incoming. I'm I'm get, I'm getting it out every time I make a right prediction. I'm saying it, and every time I make a horrendous prediction, I'm just leaving it to the dustbin and never repeating it. Um, but men, but yeah, we said this after the Villarreal game. Though I mean, what a what a stirring way to win that game it was. You no know, 95th minute, Old Trafford bouncing, and then you know it sort of frittered away. So was it different for you watching it? You were at home, right, Ian? Yeah. So I mean, because obviously me and Andy were there, you can you can get carried away almost, or, or sort of whipped up by that atmosphere, and does it blind you a little bit? But I don't know. Was it was what was it like for you? No, I mean I got carried away as well, I, and it, it was interesting actually. Cause we're going to play his comments in in a moment, but Paul Scholes in the studio uh, down in London, totally detached really from Old Trafford, 
was very cold, very cold. You sort of heard the difference with Robbie Savage, say what you want about Robbie Savage, <laughs> but he definitely got carried away with the atmosphere last night, no doubt about that. Finishing off with two words, Viva Ronaldo, good night. That's three, Robbie. <laughs> but still, it just sort of shows how he sort of lost himself in the minute, in the moment. Um, and, and Scholes was totally different. And at the full-time whistle, like, instantly, he gave an extremely cold verdict on what he'd just seen. So, yeah, I do think... Maybe being inside the ground and being away from the ground, you could probably have a different sort of sense of how the game had gone and you're not as close to the emotion and the atmosphere inside. Um, but I'll go back to it. You said it before. The half-time reaction to that whistle being blown, the initial sort of murmurs and grumblings and boos being drowned out by the cheers from the Red Army in the corner sort of summed up the feeling didn't it and like you said it's the first time that inside the stadium you've sort of felt that clear sort of conflict between uh, two different reactions right let's hear from Paul Scholes then because we're going to tee up the Liverpool game this weekend and actually Paul's doing his best to make us all worry I looked at that game thinking about Liverpool on Sunday maybe it's the wrong thing to do thinking about Manchester City because I thought in that in that first half United were all over the place they were disjointed they had the two midfield players playing on their own. Now, if you do that against Manchester City or Liverpool, half-time, it'll be 3 or 4 nil. You'll be out of the game. You're not coming back. And now everyone will get a little bit carried away with this euphoria. Now, will he play that way on Sunday against Liverpool? It, it was that brilliant. It was that good. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy. Go and do that on Sunday against Liverpool. See what happens. Well, Imagine Jürgen Klopp at home watching that game in the first half, rubbing his hands together. Right, well, if Paul Scholes has not made you worry enough, we've got a visitor now from up the East Lanks Road, crossing the divide to preview the match against Liverpool this weekend. It's Cy Hughes, who, of course, covers Liverpool for The Athletic and often pops up on their podcast, The Red Agenda, as well. Simon, thanks for doing this. Um, Scholes was quite strong in his opinions last night on BT Sport, especially about the weekend. Just to quote him, go and do that against Liverpool on Sunday See what happens. Imagine Jurgen Klopp watching that at home, rubbing his hands together. Do you agree? Well, I mean, I think Liverpool are a better team than Atalanta. Um, obviously, Atalanta are a very good, very good side. We Liverpool lost two last season at Anfield, um, but I just think the way Liverpool are playing at the moment, with the particularly the forward line, uh, three of them, three out of the four are right on form, and if they're given the space to 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 play that the you know the Atalanta forward line was given last night. You know, Liverpool start games pretty quickly. I think uh, at Old Trafford on Sunday, you know, they will need to sort of, they will need to sort of have a go from the beginning, really, to get, try and get on top of United, given given sort of the the prevailing mood at the club. So I, I think United will have to be defending well from the very beginning. So yeah, I, I do think his his comments are, are right, but I, I also think the club will have seen sort of the atmosphere at Old Trafford and possibly being spooked a little bit by that because. I mean, from my experience, whenever Liverpool goes to Old Trafford, you know, the atmosphere does crank up a few levels. Um, you know, and, and Liverpool's record at Old Trafford hasn't been great over the last sort of five to ten years. So I think I think particularly Klopp's teams haven't, haven't really performed other than the game last season when there was no crowd. Um, I think they find it quite hard on the on the you know the size of the pitch. It always seems a bigger pitch, Old Trafford. I don't know whether it actually is, but it, it just seems that way. And obviously way Liverpool play with the pressing. I just think that that Klopp won't be thinking, oh yeah, that's a gimme. That they'll still know that there's a lot to do. But 
I can understand the worry from a United perspective. If Liverpool's forwards turn up, it's it's going to be very tough for them. I sort of go back to, I think it was the 2019 game where United and Liverpool ended up drawing one all. I think Liverpool had won every single game up until that point. And it was similar to this in a sense where, Simon, everyone was building up how good Liverpool were and, and the sort of bad moment that Manchester United were in. Uh, and United ended up producing something that sort of shocked everyone. How do you feel about the game this weekend and how the fan base feel about the United game this weekend? It's interesting you mention that because I remember at the time thinking exactly the same thing that, that you know, on the day, Man United, I've got the players that can deliver performances that on any given day can, you know, can beat some of the top teams, I think. But then over the course of the season, what they don't have is what Liverpool do have is that balance in the team. And, you know, without using too many sort of football manager terminology, but the structure and the identity. You know, I think Liverpool have got a stronger identity than United on the pitch and something that they know they can go back to if it's not working. Um, I thought in that game that you mentioned, I thought United probably should have won the game. Obviously, Liverpool got a, a late equaliser, didn't they? Adam Lallana. Paul Scholes said that United should go to a, a three midfield, which may, maybe would counter what Liverpool have got to offer. Um, I just wonder, Si... I've watched the game against Atletico, I've obviously watched Liverpool this season. Mo Salah seems in ridiculous form in terms of his dribbling ability. But on the flip side, is Virgil van Dijk the player that he once was? Because that, that's the area that I look at and think, you know, for example, Marcus Rashford's had success against Liverpool in the past with those runs in behind. Atletico look to have success there. Is there any concern there from Liverpool? Yeah, well, I think Salah, um, Salah's game has developed over the last you know, two or three years. He's not the player that he was when he scored, you know, 43, 44 goals um, in his first season. He's a, he's a different player now. I think he's 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 got more to his game. I think Luke Shaw's had a decent record against him. You know, he's, he's had some good games against him, which I think will count on the day. But I agree. I don't think Van Dijk is up to, up to the level that he was before he got injured. And there's been a couple of occasions already this season where he, he's, he's looked looked vulnerable, including against Atletico on Tuesday night. But despite saying that, I still think that the Van Dyke gives the Liverpool team a lot of belief. There's two things you, you mentioned. The size of the Old Trafford pitch, that's something Jamie Carragher always talked about. He said United could hit us. And conversely, it's something Wayne Rooney always talked about at Anfield. Uh, saying it, it, it was much tighter. And also the atmosphere. The best atmosphere I've seen between United and Liverpool in recent years, uh, Anfield, was the Europa League game. And that's when Liverpool were far from great. Uh, the cop was absolutely rocking that night. And I see Manchester United as being at, at a similar stage. Clearly, Liverpool are a more complete team at the moment. You're in form. You've got better individuals in form at the moment. I think a lot of people would say you've got a, a better manager as well I think the, the atmosphere at Old Trafford has definitely got a, a part to to play in it I think there'll be people ready to write off United at the moment and yet I wouldn't be stunned if it was nil-nil I suspect that Ollie would will go for that sort of Fred McTominay if Fred's fit um, to try and contain Liverpool because you've got better players People listening to this will be doing so in all different parts of the world with greater knowledge less knowledge of the Manchester United and Liverpool rivalry Andy for United fans, I know you've written about it. Is this still the game that everyone look, looks forward to the most? I would say yes. Not all my mates would agree with me. But I think that United and Liverpool are, by a distance, the two biggest English football teams. 
and football clubs with with global support. Um, similar similarities in the history with with, with tragedy as, as well as as success. Um, so many similarities and so many things in common that we often don't like to admit it. I think the the two cities, the rivalry, it's a social, it's a cultural one. It, it's set up as a perfect uh, football rivalry, really. Liverpool are clearly on uh, in a very strong position at the moment. But for me, Manchester United against Liverpool is the biggest game in English football. And Liverpool and Manchester United's bigger rivals. I've got mates who say, nah, it's City, I hate them more. <laughs> And I've got one or two who used to say it was it was Leeds United. And then I've spoken to players. I remember speaking to Roy Keane a lot in the noughties and he said, you know, I understand why you lot say it's Liverpool, but for us it's Arsenal. So from a playing perspective, it's whoever are the best team at the moment. I'd be interested to see what Liverpool players say at the moment, or United's players, but more so Liverpool players, because they'd probably say that Manchester City were a bigger rival to them. But no, it's, it's the two Reds from... Um, these these two cities which punch well above their demographics globally in terms not just of sport but music you can look at similar sized cities around the world they're nowhere near as well known as Manchester and Liverpool and and football is a major major reason uh, as a part of that and, and, and music as well but I'd say it's mainly football and so I- Andy alluded to it there, really. You know, you've had title tussles often in recent years with City, but is the United game still the match that everyone looks forward to the most? I must say, I I dread losing to Everton more just because you'll feel it more the following Monday. You know, if... if it's the same sort of thing that Andy's been yeah, referring to there with City, that, isn't that, it? Yeah. That, that's the only reason why. But the strange thing with Liverpool United is, I mean, you sort of mentioned then about like the... Um, about sort of... The title tussles with City, like that. Has I've just been researching it this this week and writing about it a little bit. I mean, there haven't been many occasions when Liverpool and United have gone head to head at the top. You know, it's been so close. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say 08-09, You know, was it was a title race, but Liverpool for the second half of the season were chasing United for a long time, and it never felt like Liverpool were in control of it. Maybe because it's been sort of ten years. Obviously, United haven't won the title since 2013. And in the time that Liverpool have been competing for the title, United haven't really been in the conversation that much. So maybe it has lost a little bit of edge, I think, for some people. But for me, it's still... I mean, I, I grew up in a, the unfortunate decade in the 1990s when United were just winning absolutely everything in sight and Liverpool were just always felt like they were miles behind. So It wasn't that bad, Sam. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about that. Again, I mean, I was thinking about 96, 97. When you know United go to old uh, United go to Anfield with was it four games to go, and um, one three one and Liverpool won that game. Uh, I think they'd have gone level on points with United, albeit United had a, would have had a game in hands. I mean that would have really taken it down to the wire that day. But it's one of the strange quirks of the rivalry that, despite sort of the intensity of it, that there's never been that level of competition where they've both been right at the very top until you know, the last couple of days and competing for the same trophies at exactly the same time. It's like, as Andy said there, I can understand why for Roy Keane, he would say that about Arsenal because Liverpool, it was always like the grudge match, but it, uh, they were ultimately complete, keep competing with Arsenal, weren't they? The, you know, throughout that period, they were the ones who were giving them the most problems. The managers hated each other. You know, the players didn't like each other. Um, I do sense for the Liverpool players, as Andy says, I think 
City seems to be for them. You know, there's obviously a lot of Brazilian players who sort of seem to sort of semi like each other. I think it's about time Liverpool and United got it together at the top. That's I think that's what I'm saying, and have a right old go at it. Amen to that, Simon, definitely. I would say good luck and enjoy the weekend, but I don't really mean it. But thank you very much for coming on. I do mean that. Brilliant to have you. Nice one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. All right, we're going to say goodbye to Andy Mitten as well. He's rushing off now to go and speak to Brian Robson, which, Laurie, I think is a decent excuse, isn't it? We'll let him off, I suppose. Listen, you know, Robbo, uh, you know, we're talking about central midfielders. What would he do in the current United team, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't your pick, was he? Roy Keane was your pick the other week. True. <laughs> An embarrassment of riches <laughs> back in the in the central midfield. But, you know, Andy and him will have a, a great chat. I look forward to reading what he comes out with. Yeah, that'll be on The Athletic uh, in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure. Laurie... What, what's Andy been up to lately, do you know? Well, you know how he's rushing off um, to do this Brown Robson thing. He's also rushing off on sun- oh, yeah. Sunday after the game. I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, we, oh, fill us in. We were both at Lee Sports Village yesterday for the uh, you know the uh, youth league, UEFA Youth League against Atalanta, which was a, a, a another barnstorming game. Actually, that was a four-two win. Um, some, some great goals there for the for the young lads and uh, a good crowd in attendance. Uh, and he was telling me about his weekend, where obviously he's come across from Barcelona to to you know watch United a couple of times, um, and then apparently this is what he says: the best way for him to get back to Barcelona is via Ibiza. On Sunday night, so after United have beaten Liverpool at Old Trafford on, on Sunday, he's going to get on a plane straight to Ibiza and apparently there's some closing parties 
So he's going to some closing parties in Ibiza. He lands at like midnight or something, straight out on the sesh. And then he's going to go back to Barcelona after that. He says that's the most uh, simple way of doing things. Uh, I right. think he might have uh, sort of figured out himself. I wondered why he was texting me asking if I knew anyone who sold glow sticks. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. He says he's still a top raver. He says that the uh, the parties go on till 5am, so he's, yeah. he's going to get in there at 1 and he's going to be the last man standing. Is he not a bit old for this now? No, you can be any age in Ibiza, can't you? Just go and lose yourself. Andy, <laughs> if you're listening back to this, go and have a wonderful time. Go and party for all of us. Hopefully the result means that your arms are in the air all night long. <laughs> Right, <laughs> we need to round up any other business as always on Talk of the Devils. And it's not just any other business, Laurie, is it? It's a really important piece that you've been writing along with some of the other athletic guys. It's on The Athletic at the minute. I'm going to read the title out, actually, because I think it's pretty pretty hard-hitting and powerful. Putting a bomb through football. Man United Vice Chair Ed Woodward's role in the Super League. Just fill us in a little bit. Yeah, so uh, we've done a series of pieces um reflecting on six months since the Super League happened, which obviously was a huge event in, in British football, world football really, um, caused a lot of division, a lot of conflict, and it's still rumbling on really, isn't it? You know, it, Is the Super League going to come back? What's FIFA's role? What's UEFA's role? There's all kinds of stuff going on. So it's still a very live issue. Um, so we kind of wanted to do, uh, from a United perspective, um, a reflection on what Ed Woodward's role was within it all you know it's kind of been the source of quite a lot of intrigue because there's been different versions of what happened come out in terms of how engaged he was in terms of whether he was doing the Glazers bidding for them and actually when push came to shove he realised he couldn't support the the bid or actually was it that he resigned after seeing the rage that came out from fans of the Super League and the fact that the players themselves had some very strong words on on the subject. Um, so yeah, it addresses all those things. Hopefully we shine some new light on the situation. Um, there's a couple of interesting little bits that come out um, in terms of, for example, the Zoom call that Edward would had with the players on the Monday. Um, you know, we're told that Luke Shaw was basically leading that, very instrumental in um, putting the players' point of view across. Um, very strong in terms of what he thought United had treated them like. Um, so I'm still surprised by that, that it's him. Sure. Well, this is the thing. He's, he's obviously... It's good, but I'm surprised it's him. It, it, I think you could see it in his statement that he released later on the Tuesday once it had all fallen apart. Um, and he was really considered. And he, he is a, he's, he's grown into a really important part of United's squad, not just on the pitch, but uh, you know around it. You know, he's, 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 a, he's a guy that is engaged and, and kind of, I think, feels affinity with you know, match-going fans. Um, you know, his family's goes to every game you know he, 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 there's a, he's, a, he's a good guy I think and um, so he, he was you know we're told you know sort of say that he felt that they would have been treated like assets rather than human beings um, Bruno Fernandes is another one that, that came out that was very strong in that meeting and we, we've even been told that he actually would have you know he's privately said that he would have pushed to leave if they'd have gone through with it because he felt that the fact of, of no relegation was just beyond the pale you know so if United were signed up to it he, he didn't want to be a part of it um, which you know, strong. So this is the kind of emotion that, that was there at the time, and that still sort of lingers. Um, there's more sort of levity involved in it. In that Edward would obviously met Dan Rosenfeld, who is uh, number ten's chief of staff on on the Wednesday, and this is this is kind of a, cre- a, a, a crucial meeting because that was you know three days before the Super League launch. 
you know, United and government say that they were there to talk about um, fans returning to stadiums because of COVID regulations. It's, it's a bit confusing because the Premier League weren't notified and um, it, would he really have a meeting with um, that level of um, government official before such a huge launch and not talk about the launch that you know he was obviously working on. Um, so we talk about the, the, the reaction amongst the Super League clubs to you know, that sort of late part of the week where you know perhaps a couple more clubs that were on the edge actually went, yeah, no, we'll go for it. But he also met Boris Johnson briefly in a corridor um, of Downing Street. Um, it was a, a quick conversation. And, and one of the things that Ed would, would mention was the fact that he'd actually bought a charity drawing done by Boris Johnson um, you know, at auction, which, which you know, amused me. I, I wasn't aware of it, but then you go online and you see that Boris Johnson draws London buses. You know, he's, he does some sketches. Right. So we go into a little bit of yeah, what happens next? So who's who's going to take over? When's Ed going to resign properly? When he's, when's he going to step down? What's the kind of takeover? The, the changing of, of the reins been like? You know, we're told that Richard Arnold is being primed. You know, he's, he's the managing director of United. He's the uh, the kind of commercial brains. He's known the Glazers for a long time, trusted. He's known Ed Woodward for a long time, and, and Ed Woodward's had a role in, in you know, picking his, select, his um, successor. So, yeah, it addresses all those things. There's loads in there. Hopefully, people enjoy it and kind of come away with it, sort of learning something and, and, and having a bit of insight from it all. Yeah, that article's up on The Athletic at the moment. Remember, you can still get a 33% discount off the subscription as well. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Even that article's a good reason to go and do that, to be fair. Right, Laurie, before you go, uh, this is a really key question. We've asked some massive questions on Talk of the Devils today, um, but I think this is probably up there as the most important. What's a scalene triangle? <laughs> so, right, last night when I'm in my sort of haze of, of, of trying to, you know, avoid falling asleep at the laptop and... You're doing a bit of geometry. Have a bit of creative writing. Well, I did I did maths at A-level, so I've got... There's some flickers of... of what went down? I don't even think you need to know what a scaling triangle is for, for A level maths, but um, I was just trying to think. Say. I was t- <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I thought it might be a bit more technical than triangles. <laughs> I uh, yeah, uh, in, in, in my attempt to uh, you know have some kind of creativity to this uh, idea that United shape lacked balance, I thought, what is the most, what is the shape that has the least amount of balance to it, and and it, I, I think it's a scaling triangle. All sides are unequal different angles that was my I, I originally thought rhombus but I think rhombus is kind of actually there is a bit of, who does he play for he's, he, listen he's, got, he's good with both feet left. defensive midfielder I, I've heard whispers wow get him in <laughs> yeah if you have no idea what I'm talking about go and read Laurie's piece <laughs> reflecting on last night's turnaround against Atalanta brilliant all the big questions getting asked on talk of the devils scaling triangle A level maths Wow. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Andy, thank you to you as well. He's probably in Ibiza by now, isn't he? Bless him. Uh, and Sai as well. That was interesting, wasn't it? He, he sort of made me worry a bit more about Sunday and then equally it undid uh, as he sort of went through that Virgil van Dijk's not quite as good and that they've been having problems uh, conceding the type of chances that Manchester United might be able to create. So you just never know, do you? Either way, we'll be back on Monday, of course to review that game against Liverpool. But until then, thank you for listening to Talk of the Devils and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The Athletic.